Good morning, OCC. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Oh, that was not as good as the nine o'clock service. Interesting. On the joy day. Way to blow it. Um, okay. So we've been going through our Advent season. Um, first week, Dave talked about hope. He talked about how hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Last week, we heard from Derek talk about peace, that Jesus is the peacemaker and he gives us access to God. And today we are talking about joy. In the midst of a worldwide pandemic, we're talking about joy. Thanks, Derek. Okay, so I sat down this week, so I was like, okay, joy, I got this. Got the computer, gonna do some Googling. And I was like, okay, joy, joy, joy. And then I realized, Mike, you don't know what joy is. Like, right, just write it down. Joy is, and I was like, I don't know what to write. How do you, like, so I was like, okay. I gotta get some Googling going. Gotta look up the dictionary, obviously. It's a classic move. So, looked it up and found a couple of things. You know, I was like, what, you know, what is joy? What is happiness? Are they different? Are they the same? Are they different levels? Like, what's going on? So I looked up happiness. Happiness, according to the dictionary, the state of being happy. Not helpful. Thanks, dictionary. All right, let me try something else. I looked up joy, a feeling of great pleasure, and happiness. Well, now we're just going in circles, dictionary. What the heck? This is not helpful. And last, I tried, okay, well, maybe I'll look up happy. That's a little bit better. Feeling or showing pleasure, enjoying a condition or situation, joyful. So I'm back to where I started. That was useless, total waste. Um, it's hard, and in our culture, it's even more confusing. You guys remember last year, a couple years ago, Marie Kondo, the organization lady, right? Does it, does it spark joy? I don't know, Maria Kondo. What, what is that supposed to mean? Right? You know, it doesn't spark joy. Trying to figure out if this sweater sparks joy in my life. How am I supposed to figure that out? I don't know. You've got Pharrell. He's got the happy song. That's a great song, right? You remember it? Clap along. You feel like a room without a roof. Sounds kind of wet to me. I don't know. That makes a happy thing. Because I'm happy, I'm going to clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. But weird, but kind of. Okay, clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Now we're just reaching here. It's like, I don't know. Like, if you know, then just go ahead and clap, because I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, Pharrell's saying. And then lastly, he says, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. And that's just a throwaway line, just like, I don't know. If you feel like clapping, then be my guest. Go ahead in my wonderful happy song. So the best definition that I could find was rooted really in psychology, and I'll read it to you here. Definitely better than these other ones, stupid Websters. They said, happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being combined with the sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. That's a little bit better. But trying to put it to, into words is tough. However, despite it being tough, I know that everyone in this room has, at some point or another, experienced happiness and joy, right? We all kind of know it's a common thing. Also common is we've experienced what it's like to not have happiness and joy and wish that you did. That is very common, everyone in the room, guaranteed. So as we wade into joy and happiness today, um, you know, how does, that, how does that hit you? Just that term, that concept. Um, I can imagine maybe, maybe three groups that uh, in terms of how you kind of initially think about happiness. First group, 
You might say that happiness is totally natural. Like these are our optimists, like nothing can touch them. They're just always happy. And they're thinking, what is wrong with everyone else? I don't get it. All these Debbie Downers, all these negative Nancys, um, just figure it out um, and just decide to be happy. You're ruining the vibe for everyone else, right? Just be happy. Maybe you're in that group. Maybe you're in the group where you're realizing that happiness is not as easy as we thought it should be. Like, this should be easy, right? It's happiness. But instead, it's like a roller coaster. You know, some days are good, other days not good. You know, maybe you feel like you're climbing uphill forever, just continually searching. Maybe you're in that group. There's probably another group here uh, that also has probably decided that happiness is unachievable in my life. I've been through enough. You know, maybe some devastating things have happened in your life, done to you, done by you, made you bitter, depressed, hopeless, and you're probably wondering if God's even forgotten about you altogether. And that's a pretty wide spectrum that we're wading into today. But regardless of where you might be, I think that God has got something for us today. I'm so excited for today. So today we're going to explore three questions about joy and happiness. Number one, is it wrong to be happy? Number two, are we supposed to be happy Christians? And then number three, what is the secret to joy? So is it wrong to be happy? Wrong to want to be happy? Are we supposed to be happy Christians? And what is the secret to joy? So first, is it wrong to want to be happy? Now, I spent a ton of time this week on Derek's favorite website, Psychology Today. He uses it every week. We know all your tricks, Derek. And as you might expect, there are a lot of articles on happiness. I mean, just littered with stuff. And happiness is a big deal. I found a quote. They said, attaining happiness is a global pursuit. Researchers find that people from every corner of the world rate happiness more important than other desirable personal outcomes, such as, listen to this list, such as more important than wealth, than acquiring material goods, and getting into heaven. Yikes! That's a crazy list that happiness is trumping here, right? I mean, wow. Like, so happiness is more important than money. Duh. We all know that. That's the easy one. Happiness is more important than stuff. Yeah, okay, we get that. But happiness is more important than heaven? What? Let's put that into perspective. So in my 80-year lifespan, the happiness in that lifespan is more important than the state of my soul for a billion, trillion, infinity years. That's where we're kind of putting it in terms of the list. Crazy. Now, Psychology Today, they have like a whole section dedicated to happiness it, um, with all kinds of like articles and guides and questions to ask yourself. And they kick off this whole article with this sentence. They say, happiness is an electrifying and elusive state. Basically, like, good luck with this one, like, world, culture. Like, we're going to give you some stuff, but who knows? It's kind of how you kick off the article. It's the worst way to begin the happiness article. Um, what's been interesting, though, is there's been a whole branch of psychology that's kind of sprang up starting in maybe the 1990s called positive psychology. Um, and basically what this was is a bunch of psychologists started to say, you know, we're paying so much attention to, you know, mental disorder, um, to uh, depression and mental illness. 
what, what we really need to do also, because that's still important, what we really need to do is look at like, like the other side. Like what are we shooting for? How do we get out of that? And then once we're out of that, then what, how do we find happiness? And so there's this whole movement, tons of research and studies um, to figure out all kinds of stuff. And they have figured out some cool stuff. Like they've like figured out stuff in the brain that like different parts of your brain will light up under different situations, under different levels of happiness, different things start firing. It's, it's unbelievable what they figured out. They find what they call, well, they found what they call the happy chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, that they happen naturally in your brain to kind of like trigger happiness. Like when, like that's the thing that kind of gets people going, that they've done this research. Amazing. They've written books. They're trying to be helpful. They've identified something that they call the hedonic treadmill. And basically what they say is you're on this treadmill and you're constantly looking for the next thing. The, you know, I want to get married. I want to have a kid. I want a new car. I want a new job, all this stuff. But they say the treadmill, you always return. Once you get that new thing, you return to this baseline level of happiness and are always trying to look for the next thing. They've discovered this with hours and hours of research. The Bible figured it out like 2,000 years ago, but we've confirmed it with some research. This is great. Um, they also came up with this thing called the happiness pie, which sounds delicious, right? Um, actually, when you dig into it, it's not as delicious. It was created by geneticists. So they say basically 50% of your happiness is genetics, 10% is related to total life circumstances, and then 40% are personal choices. So, you know, happiness, pie, it's a pie chart. Pie's delicious, it checks out. So here's the thing, with all this research, with all of this technology and knowledge we have gained, here's the thing, things are not going well. We've learned so much. I found this quote from, a, from an article, they said, according to some measures, as a nation, we've grown sadder and more anxious during the same years that the happiness movement has flourished. Perhaps that's why we've, been, we've eagerly bought up its offerings. It may be that college students sign up for positive psychology lessons in droves because a full 15% of them report being clinically depressed. Suicide rates have increased 30% since 1999. Uh, depression diagnoses have risen 33% just since 2013. And if you were here last week, I mean, Derek told this heartbreaking story in a room of 5,000 students at a camp, 150 of them raised their hands and said, we've written a suicide note and have a plan to take our own life. It's heartbreaking. With all the focus, all our technology, all the research, why are things just getting worse? Like, what, what are we doing wrong? There's a quote that I found from this guy, Eric. I didn't know about him, but he's a guy. He's a moral social philosopher from the mid-1900s. And he said this, and as soon as I heard this, I was like, this is it, this is the thing. And it's right here. The search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. So let that sink in a little bit. The search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. So what's going on here? Like, is this some like Dumbledore spell where like, if you're not looking for it, then that's when you find it, but you secretly do want to look for it. So you have to like trick it because then, then you'll get it. Like what, 
come on, happiness. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses the phrase, chasing after the wind. And that sounds about right, based on a lot of our experience, I think. Uh, But that's what it feels like sometimes. The harder we strive for it, the worse things get. And honestly, I mean, when you think about it, this checks out. I mean, have you ever used the phrase, I just want to be happy? Maybe in general, I just want to be happy, just a happier person. Or I just want to be happy today. Netflix and chill. I just, I just can't, I just want to be happy. But it gets even, it, it gets more serious than that. You know, let me search for something to make me happy. I, and I've used this, I've used, I just want to be happy to justify doing and thinking some pretty terrible, destructive things. And maybe you've, you've done the same way. You know, I just want to be happy so let's, let's start talking about divorce. I just want to be happy. So maybe this affair is the thing. I just want to be happy. So maybe pornography. I just want to be happy. So today, so alcohol, drugs. I just want to be happy. I don't care about anything or anyone else right now ex- other than me being happy. And that can lead to some dark, dark places as we know either personally or someone in our family has gone down that path. The search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. Now, in a very long Psychology Today happiness article, it provided the following guidance on finding true happiness. So, all, and, I, and I printed it out so we can all read it together. So all you have to do is this. Determine what makes you happy. Make happiness a daily habit. Become more optimistic. Practice gratitude. Keep a gratitude journal. Live authentically. Create meaning in your life. Practice compassion. Practice generosity. Practice mindfulness, spirituality, and religion. Have healthy relationships. Find happiness in your job. And savor small moments. (laughs) Just one second. I mean, how do you feel after a list like that? We feel depressed. It is too long. There are too many things on that list. What the heck are we supposed to do? It is overwhelming. And what's the message here? You know, if you're not happy, just try a thing. A thing. Anything. Right? Oh, these things aren't working? Well, what? someone found this new thing. You should try the new thing that might make you happy. It's, it's a thing. We should try it. We're grasping at everything. The search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. Uh, now, hopefully, as you guys know, the Berries are big Disney Plus people. We love it. Has, now, has anyone seen the movie, the Pixar movie, Inside Out? Can I get a show of hands? Okay. All right. Strong. Strong. I've done a little bit of research this week. Watched it yesterday. Research is great. I cried my eyes out. Um, but there are these two main characters in this story, if you're not familiar with it. There's, and they're emotions. They're, the characters are emotions. There's joy, voiced by Amy Poehler. Hilarious. Great. And then there's sadness, voiced by Phyllis from The Office. And she is so good. So good. Um, and the two emotions, the main characters, they live inside the brain of their kid. Their kid, is their, her name is Riley. And so if you know the story, you know Riley. Things are going great. And then her parents decide, hey, we got to move. And so Riley gets moved from her home to a new place, and she's getting sad, and she's starting to miss home, like just feeling really down. And that's when Joy, Amy Poehler, kicks in, and I was like, well, we got to turn this thing around. We have got to be happy. I've got to get Riley happy again. She says stuff like, you can't focus on the bad things. There's always a way to turn things around. 
At one point, sadness, Phyllis, is just laying on the ground, just crying. And Joy comes up and says, why are you crying? This is really, this is the opposite of what we're going for here. And then sadness just responds and says, crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. <laughs> oh, so good. And, I, and Joy, she, she also says, and she said it in the movie, as soon as she said I wrote it down, I was like, boom, research complete. She said, I just want Riley to be happy. That's what she wanted. And here's the thing, if you remember the story, Joy is singularly focused on making Riley happy. And as long as she's doing that, things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. She doesn't want any sadness. She just wants Riley to be happy and things get bad. The narrative takes the turn when she finally realizes that the thing that Riley needs right now is something other than joy, something other than happiness. And as soon as that clicks, then we kind of get back on the, on the train of redemption for Riley. So good. The search for happiness is one of our chief sources of unhappiness. Pixar confirms it. So is it wrong then to want to be happy? Is it wrong to pursue happiness? I mean, happiness, we all, we, we all agree. This is this deep thing that is in us. We didn't like invent it and decide, oh, I discovered this thing called happiness. It's like, oh, tell me more about that thing. No, it's in us. We all know it. So why aren't we getting it? It's a chasing after the wind is what it feels like. And not only are we not finding it, but in our pursuit, we're making things worse. So great. Here we are. Worst sermon on joy ever. <laughs> Derek's making some notes. He's like, all right, we're going to not sign up Mike next year for Advent <laughs> preaching. Um, so, so what do we, I mean, what do we do? Do we just like throw up our hands and just say, whatever? Like, I feel like Solomon and Ecclesiastes, do we just go, go full Solomon and just like, meaningless, it's all meaningless, I don't know. I'm just giving up. Do we just give up? And the answer is no, we don't give up. But we've got, we've got to change what we're doing. So a quote I've used before fits perfectly here. It's from C.S. Lewis. He says this. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Is it wrong to want to be happy, to pursue happiness? Well, yes, at least the way that we've been doing it. So then how are we supposed to want it? And I guess, I don't know, we're at church, so it's got to be God something. I don't know. Maybe a little more Bible, a little less psychology today, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but really, that brings us to our second question. So if, like, if we're Christians, right, and we have found this thing, are then we supposed to be happy Christians, right? We found it. We've got the thing. That's what we say. That's our message to the world. Are we supposed to be happy? We found it. Now, before we dive in to, to that question specifically, we've got to get a little bit of theological foundation down, just real quick. So one, um, God is joyful. And, I, and that may not be kind of how you've always viewed God, you know, um, but it's all throughout Scripture. The phrase, the, the joy of the Lord is throughout Scripture. 
Zephaniah 3 says that he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 1 Timothy 1.11 says the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And blessed, that Greek word, can also be translated also as happy. So think about that. The glory, uh, the gospel of the glory of the happy God. It's not necessarily a phrase we hear a lot about God. Matthew 25, Jesus says, enter into the joy of your master. Jesus has joy. John 15, he's talking to his disciples and he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is a happy and joyous God. That's thing number one. The other thing is joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's in the list of Galatians 5. And what that means is if the Spirit is in you, like it's, it's God inside of you. And so stuff just comes out. Fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit inside of you. And one of those things is joy. As a Christian, if you have the Spirit, joy comes out. That's just how it works. It's a promise. God promises. It's not, you can't manufacture it. It just comes out from the Spirit. So as Christians, we're supposed to reflect this attribute of God. God is a happy and joyful God, and we're supposed to reflect that. that that's what he's, the work that he's doing inside of us. So as Christians, are we supposed to be happy Christians, joyful Christians? I mean, yeah. We just read it, right? Um, <laughs> But what has your experience been with Christianity and happiness? I can imagine kind of a couple of spectrums here, a couple of sides. So you've probably seen some Christians that are definitely not happy, right? We've all met these people. The rules, the requirements, the legalism, the judgment. Churches have not necessarily been the happiest places to visit, you know, in the history of church in America. Or maybe... You've seen Christians that are like suspiciously like too happy. Like, you're like, I don't know. I think that about Dave sometimes. I don't know about you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like you come in and like, and especially in the South, oh my gosh. I mean, everyone, like, you know, you got smile on. How you doing? Good, good. How you doing? Good, good. Doing great, doing great. How are things? They're, things are good. Things are good. It's a little suspicious. There's a little too much happy going on. And, and we think that because, like, don't they live in the same world that I do? Like, this is the same life. And, like, life is hard. It gets bad sometimes. Maybe you felt the pressure to show up to church with a giant smile because Christians are supposed to be happy. So I guess I'm doing this now. I'm showing up. You know, what is the opposite of happy? Sad. Okay, well, if I'm supposed to be a happy Christian, can't be sad. Okay, so no sadness, can't have any realms of sadness in here if I'm supposed to be a happy Christian. I think in some ways we think we need to be like, like Teflon Christians. So go with me on this a little bit. It's like Teflon, it's like the super slick on pans and stuff. Nothing sticks to it. You know, nothing sticks to us. We're Teflon, and we just like float above the world's problems. Just like nothing can touch us. Everything just slides right off. We just coast through life, no problems. We're supposed to be happy. We're unaffected by anything. Cancer diagnosis, slides right off. It's great, no big deal. Betrayal by spouse, slides right off. No big deal. Laid off from work, slides right off. 
ridiculed for your belief in God, parents get divorced, feel like you're failing as a parent, slides right off, Teflon Christian. Just read some Bible verses, pray a little, and then you can float above all your problems and never have a care in the world and always be happy and never be sad again. Let's take a look at Jesus in Matthew 26 and see if things are supposed to just slide right off. So he says, Then <clears throat> Jesus went to, the, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So should we be Teflon Christians? Nothing can affect us. Nothing sticks. Sure seems like sorrow was sticking to Jesus a little bit in this time. It says he was sorrowful and troubled. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Luke's account of this scene said that Jesus was uh, in agony, in anguish, and that his sweat was like drops of blood hitting the ground. What's wild about the Bible is that suffering and joy are not opposites. They're not mutually exclusive in the Bible. You can have both, both and. Paul rejoiced in prison. Peter rejoiced when he was beaten by the Pharisees. There can be an underlying joy, a deep happiness in the midst of suffering, according to the Bible. That's hard, but that's what you see. It's all over the place. So we're not to be Teflon Christians, so what should we be? And here's my idea. I think we should be cast iron Christians. So who here in, in the room cooks with like a cast iron skillet or cast iron pot? Okay. Look around. Everyone's got their hand. That's, that's whose house you want to go to for dinner, because these people know where it's at. Um, so, and I, and I don't speak from experience. Jody's the cook in the house. I am, I am a train wreck. So if I was in charge, geez, it would be pizza and hot dogs and cereal, because it's easy and delicious. Um, I gained 50 pounds. I'd not, I'd probably live 20 years less, um, but it'd be delicious. So for those reasons, um, I am not in charge of cooking. I'm in charge of dishwashing at the Berry House. That's my job. I'm great at it. Dishes are always clean. So I had to do a little bit of research on cast iron skillets, but it's fascinating how these things are used. <coughs> so first off, you have to season it, okay? This is something I learned. I didn't know. So it's not like with like herbs and stuff. You season it by like, like cooking oil on top, like kind of like baking it into the surface of the cast iron. It takes a lot of work. You can't just buy it and then use it. You got to do a lot of prep work and be patient with your cast iron skillet so you don't mess it up. But if you do it right, then it kind of like has this protective layer. It prevents the cast iron from rusting. Um, and it, and people have said like, if you do it right and you take care of it, a cast iron cookware could last for generations and generations, which is wild. There's nothing in our world that lasts for generations, right? <laughs> Cast iron, though. Um, so, and, and think about that. Like, so, so Christianity, it's, it can't be this spray-on Teflon coating, right? 
It takes special care. It takes time. It takes preparation to have joy, right? You don't just say, hey, I'm a Jesus follower now, and then boom, no problems. I'm joyful now. No way. Also, cast iron skillets, they have, they have memories like elephants, according to Alton Brown. Don't mean to name drop. He knows his stuff, though. They absorb the flavors of the food they're cooked in, giving future dishes a much richer taste, which is super cool. I don't know how that works. I know that it tastes good when Jody makes stuff, which is awesome. But yeah, like, you know, f- like the remnants of the food, the flavors of the food get kind of stuck in it. And I know this very well as the primary dishwasher in the house. Like, stuff is going to get burned and like black, and I'm like, you know, trying to like, like trying to get it off so it's just not like caked on there like old food and stuff. Cast iron cookware can be a real mess, at least according to me. I don't know. Um, but what's cool about this cast iron thing, like it's okay to be messy if we're cast iron Christians. So it's okay to be messy. Suffering is okay. Pain is okay. The heat is okay. You're not doing something wrong. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Like as like a guarantee. You're gonna have trouble. It's gonna get rough. And finally, cast iron skillets actually get better the more you use them. As you do, the oil you use kind of, it seeps into the pan itself. It's like it's re-seasoning itself over and over again with the oil that you use to cook. And over time, it actually makes the surface less sticky the more and more that you cook with it, which is wild. An old cast iron skillet cooks better than a new one. And actually, over time, a couple of people have said, it can reach the same level of non-stickness that a Teflon pan. Doesn't happen overnight, obviously. This is the generation's piece of cookware, but it can reach that same level of non-stickness, which is crazy. So over time, as Christians, if we go through enough valleys, enough painful times, and you see God remain faithful again, and again, and again, and again, the joy can grow. Let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. It says this, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, for me, in passages like this, I always focus on the fruit part. I don't know about you, but it's like, I want fruit. Like, I want people to, like, look at me and be like, dang, look at all that fruit. That'd make me feel good, make me feel happy, maybe. But, But that's not it at all. What's the most important thing in this passage? It's not the fruit, hint. It's not even the tree. The most important thing in this passage is the stream, that the tree is connected to. It matters where the tree is planted. It matters what it's connected to. That's what enables it to weather the storm, to make it through the heat, to make it through the drought. But we know trees. Trees are everywhere, right? Trees are not constantly bearing fruit. They go through seasons. We're going into one right now. Imagine if you had never seen trees before or been like in like seasons. If you just like showed up on earth, you'd start looking around and be like, why is everyone not freaking out? 
all of these trees and plants are dying right now. The leaves are coming off. They're turning like colors. They're getting smashed up. Look at that tree over there. It looks dead. But we know it's a season. It'll come back, hopefully. <laughs> trees go through seasons. They're not always bearing fruit. And we go through seasons too. Gosh, ain't that the truth? We're not always bearing fruit. You go through a trial and you start to doubt this whole Jesus thing. You think it's hopeless, there's no way out, and yet God stays with you in the midst of that. He does not abandon you. You're, you're connected to the stream, the thing that is giving you everything you need. You're connected to the stream and you get another layer of seasoning on your cast iron soul. You receive, I don't know, maybe a, a diagnosis and all your plans for the future just got turned upside down and you have no idea what's going on. Why would God do this? What did I ever do? What, why me? And yet in the midst of it, he might show himself to be sovereign and powerful and loving and comforting in the midst of your suffering. You're connected to the stream and you get another layer of seasoning on your cast iron soul. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you realize it's your fault. Your sin did this. You feel guilt, you feel shame, but God, your father, welcomes the repentant prodigal with open arms. You're connected to the stream and you get another layer of seasoning on your cast iron soul. Maybe your child's all grown up and they are not following the path you laid out for them. They're drifting away from God. And gosh, will they ever come back? God, will you just please just let them just reach out to me? I don't want to lecture them. I just want to love them. But please just let them talk to me. You see glimpses of God's faithfulness surrounding both you and your child. And you see some answered prayers, some glimmers of hope. And you realize that, okay, maybe God is faithful. You're connected to the stream. You get another layer of seasoning on your cast iron soul. I mean, honestly, life this side of heaven, it's still life, right? I mean, there are mountains and there are valleys, seasons of bearing fruit and seasons of drought. But over time, God is doing the gentle work of seasoning our cast iron soul. And slowly, over time, the trials, which don't get any easier, they're just as hard as they ever were, because life is still life. But over time, because of the gentle care of God and his seasoning, you get a little bit less sticky. You get a little bit less sticky. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a spray-on Teflon coating. We accept Jesus, and then the seasoning begins. That's the start of it. So, like, you're in it for the long haul, and so is God. Not only that, he promises that he will continue doing all of the seasoning work that is needed forever until completion, until you're perfect. He's, like, in it for the long haul, and he's not upset. He's not tapping his foot like, when are you going to figure this out? He's in it. He knew. He knows. So at OCC, you know, we want to be a raw and unpolished church. 
gosh, just like Dave said, where we invite anyone and everyone into this unending ocean of grace through Jesus. But what, what is more attractive to the world? Think about this. Is it more attractive to be a Teflon Christian, you know, ignoring suffering and pain and just acting like, you know, it doesn't even affect me and I'm always happy and I'm faking it till I make it? Is that attractive? Or is it attractive to have battle-hardened, well-seasoned, cast-iron Christians with scars and burns, but also with a deep joy in the midst of suffering. That is what's going to blow people's minds. Fortunately, that's God's plan. So are we supposed to be happy Christians? Yes, but I would say cast iron ones. But how? How do I get, how do I get connected to this stream? This sounds great. What do I do? How do I stay connected? And that brings us to our last question. What is the secret to joy. So with the word of God as our guide, we are realizing that joy and suffering are not mutually exclusive. You know, they kind of co-mingle. They're like in and around each other. The opposite of biblical joy is not sorrow. The opposite of biblical joy, the thing that wrecks things and always has is sin. It is always the problem. Even from the very beginning, God made this wonderful garden, there was joy. It was great. Joy's complete. We were with God. God was with us. It was awesome. And then sin shows up and takes this perfect joy and then just like fractures it. Sin is the problem. And now happiness is an idol for our culture. We are worshiping and serving happiness instead of the creator of the happiness. Either God is your happiness or happiness is your God. So if all of our best efforts are just, just making things worse, then what is the secret of joy? We know we cannot earn it. We cannot be good enough. We've tried. We are not smart enough. We can't do enough research. We can't invent enough remedies to fix this broken part of ourselves. So how do we get connected to God? How do we get to the stream of life? We all have these sins that are the opposite of joy and are keeping us from our, our true joy, which is God himself. And what's amazing about this season we're in, about Christmas, is the secret is we've been talking about it. It's the perfect reminder. Remember Linus quoting Luke 2 last week? He said, And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the secret. Jesus is how we get connected to the stream of God. He is the only way. This is why this is such good news. It's like people of earth, human humans, like you were hopeless. You had no shot at happiness. And now God has come and He's bringing it all. Good news of great joy. Jesus is the only way this could ever be fixed. In Hebrews 12 too, it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. God himself came down and took 
all of our sin, all of our punishment on himself so that we might once again be able to have joy, true joy, and connect us to the stream, which was himself. We'll start to wrap up here with John 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It matters what we're connected to. Apart from him, we can do nothing. People will let you down, success will let you down, and happiness is elusive. They can't provide what we need, what we really need deep down. So as we close today, you know, what, what are you connected to that you're relying on to provide what you need? If you've never connected to God, Today is a great day. With open arms, God says, come. I've got it all. All you gotta do is just come. Maybe you're in a season where you started to connect to the wrong things. You knew what it was like to be connected to the stream and it was good and then somehow you find yourself not in that place. You're chasing after other things, chasing after the wind. God is the same today and forever, and he will open arms and say, come on, let's get connected. Through Jesus, the relationship can be restored. The source of the seasoning, the source of the joy, you can get connected right now. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And the chorus we're gonna sing a response song now. The chorus of that song, it says this, it says, we believe in the kingdom come, we believe in the risen sun, you bring our hearts to life. Lord, we come with our hands up high, we believe you will satisfy. You bring our hearts to life. You bring our hearts to life. We are alive. Please stand with me. God, thank you so much God, you, you, you've done everything. There's nothing left for us to do except to just come and be with you. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come on us in this place, that you would speak truth to our souls, that you're faithful, that you're with us, that you have not abandoned us, that we can have joy. We're connected to you. God, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.